Well, since Pastor Jesse is out of town this weekend, I have the privilege of being able to share with you again from God's Word. Um, Last week, Pastor Jesse launched a new sermon series about being prepared for Christ's return. And so we, we were looking at Scripture. What does it tell us to do in preparation? How are we supposed to live in light of Christ's return? And these past few days, we've been preparing for Hurricane Dorian. And I don't think most people thought it was going to hit us um, until all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, it's coming straight for central Florida. And so what happened when, when we got that news? We saw a little bit of panic. Um, I got a picture from a friend on Thursday who went to Publix and all the water was gone already in Publix. And I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday when they really announced that it was coming. So people went into a little bit of a frenzy. And while hurricane season is really, it's once a year, we're, and we know when it's happening, we're never really prepared when it does come for us. And so everything in our lives kind of has to stop. It's like, okay, canceling work, canceling school, It's time to get ready for the hurricane, go get the supplies. Everything stops so that we can do what we need to get ready. And the thing about Christ's return is that we do not know when it's going to happen. The news doesn't come on, you don't turn on whatever news channel or news outlet that you use. They're not going to say, Jesus is coming back in a few days, start getting ready. We're not going to see that headline. We're not going to see on social media, hey, Jesus is coming back. Um, You need to start getting your affairs in order. You need to start preparing that it's not how it works. Now, I know there's a few people on social media that like to post like, hey, I know when God's coming back, but we know that they don't. And so how do we prepare for something that we don't know when it's going to happen? Well, when it comes to Jesus, what he has given us is his word, and what he has given us is his spirit. And so I want to look this morning, uh, Annie just read from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, which is our passage for the series that we're going through. And in this passage, Peter outlines how we should be prepared as we wait with expectancy for Christ to come back. It talks about being sober-minded, leading prayer-filled lives, to love unconditionally as Christ has loved us, and to use our gifts to serve one another faithfully and put Jesus at the center of all we do. But there's another thing that when we look at Scripture, it gives us um, a very simple way. Jesus gives us a, a very simple example to prepare, to practice, and to keep us ready and to bring us to focus and attention on him. And that thing is what we're going to partake of today, and that is communion. And so I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. That's where I'm going to be focused on this morning for our message. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians and this is, he's, he's quoting Jesus here. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. You see, when we look at communion, there are three main things that it calls us to practice that draws us into deeper relationship with Christ. And they'll want to focus on those three things. And the first thing, as we looked at this passage, is to remember. Remember Christ. You see, our spiritual health is directly tied to how well we remember. For some of you, that's good news. uh, And for others, that's bad news. Because some of us have a great memory. Uh, It's a steel trap. You can basically remember the day you were born and give the details of everything that happened. Um, My mother is one of those people, and she's always reminding me of every little detail of my life and event. She just remembers everything. I don't know how she does it. But there's some of us who have a very terrible memory. You lose your keys about five times a day. You forget to call your friend after you just talked to them, and they said you'd call them back in five minutes, but it's the next day, and they're texting you. It's like, why didn't you call me back? You're like, I, you said you would call me back. So I'm, I'm more like that person. Um, a very funny example of this, if you've ever seen the movie 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler, uh, 10 Second Tom, okay, uh, he can only remember for 10 seconds at a time. Uh, it's, I can't really pronounce, it's a form of amnesia. He doesn't have the ability to retain new memories, and his memory only lasts for 10 seconds. So the psychologist says in the movie played by Dan Aykroyd, introduces Adam Sandler, who's the star of the movie, to 10-second Tom. Tom walks up and says, hi I'm, hi, I'm Tom. And the whole clip is just Tom reintroducing himself to Adam Sandler over and over again. Now that's a little bit extreme, but sometimes we can be like 10-second Tom when it comes to the cross, when it comes to Jesus. We come on Sunday morning, and yes, we, we worship, we, we give him glory and praise, but then throughout the week, we don't give a second thought to it because the other things in our lives start to take over. And so that's why we need communion Um, Because as a Christian, the act of remembering Christ and what he has done is central to who we are. If we notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 26 in this passage, communion is a gospel proclamation. It is a visible, physical, and experiential proclamation of the gospel. It's telling us a story through the body, through the symbols of the bread and the wine. And later in verse 29, Paul says that when we take communion... We need to discern the body and blood of Christ in the elements. The bread and the cup are pointing us beyond themselves to Jesus himself and everything he has done for us on the cross. They help us anamnesis him. I'm going to explain this word real quickly. Anamnesis. It's a little bit difficult to, uh, to say, but it means to recall or represent a past event and to make it a current operative to make its power available in the here and the now. It's the kind of remembering where past and present meet. It's like we are there. It's, and that's one of the reasons why we have anniversaries. They bring us back to the most important events in our lives. They bring us back um, to the things that affected us, that changed our lives, events that determine the direction of where we went in our life. And Paul is saying here that that's what communion is for every Christian. 
It brings us back to the life-altering events of the cross. G. Thomas Holbrooks was a Baptist theologian, and he helps us dig a little bit deeper here into the kind of remembering that Jesus is talking about in communion. Because he believes it is much more than a commemorative meal. Communion, and what he says is this, communion is more than a bare memorial that calls us to remembrance something which happened long ago. It is a remembrance that draws the fullness of God's past action in Christ into the present moment with power so that the believers experience anew God's reconciling love. You see, that is why in Deuteronomy we see um, God saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames, on your houses, and on your gates. You see, God knows something about us. We are very forgetful. I think we can all admit that. And it's not something that you should get bogged down about, that you should feel ashamed about. It's just when things happen in our lives, we tend to lose focus. And what Jesus is telling us here is, I'm giving you something that reminds you of me. Do this in remembrance of me so that you will not forget, so that you can teach it to your children. So when you're home with your family, you will remember what I have done for you. When you're at work, you will remember what I have done for you. It is a constant reminder of what Jesus has done, that Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon himself, and we are accepted before him. And that is not something that we should ever forget. We're just saying, Lord, I need you. I need you every single hour. Because he knows our hearts are often fun to forget. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul says also, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and was raised on the third day. See, we need to remember what he has done. And communion draws us into that remembrance. It causes us to slow down and to look back and think of what Jesus has done for us. We also need to remember that at one time we were without Jesus. We were without him. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and what God in the, without God in the world. But then it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And so we need to remember so that we can hold on to what Jesus has accomplished in our lives. So the first thing communion draws us into is remembrance. The second thing it causes us to do is to examine. We remember what Christ has done, and when we see what Christ has done, it, it causes us to look and examine our lives before him in light of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 11 also says, in, in light of communion, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And just a little bit of clear, uh, clarity on what that's talking about. 
when we come and we partake of communion and we say we are believers, but we do not deal with the sin in our lives, what we are doing is a kind of a false sense of Christ's presence in our lives because we actually haven't dealt with the sin. We haven't allowed him to do the work of sanctification, of making us more into his image, of dealing with the things that separate us, that deal with our sin, that keeps us from relationship with him. You see, when we remember what Christ has done, we get a full view of the weight of the cross and we start to see the full weight of our sin. And it causes us to slow down and to examine our own spiritual condition. In Psalm 139, David cries out, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in way in the way everlasting. You see, when we allow Jesus to examine ourselves, when we say, yes, Lord, there are things in my life that need to be dealt with, it leads us to a point of repentance before him. And we, when we look at scripture, it's calling as Jesus' return, as we look for Christ's return, there's also a call to repent and believe. And so when we come to the table, it's also a time to repent and believe in what he has done. A.W. Tozer also said in The Crucified Life, all the efforts towards a deeper life with Jesus, the crucified life, will only bring disappointment unless we have settled the matters of repentance from dead works, the forgiveness of sins, and the impartation of divine light and conversion. You see, when we come to this table, we come as believers, but we also come as those who know we are in need of a Savior. Because yes, when we find faith in Jesus, we become his children, we come under a new identity of new life in Christ. But the thing is, there's never a time in our lives where we don't need the saving power of Jesus in our lives. It's not we get saved and then we're good. Yes, we have security in Christ, but there are still things in our life that need to be surrendered under the Lordship of Jesus, the, that, that sanctification of allowing the Spirit to convict us and draw us closer. You see, when we come into the light of the gospel, when we come to communion, the light of Jesus illuminates every area of our life. And if there's something in our lives and our hearts that have not fully surrendered to God, coming to communion allows us the opportunity to make that right, to allow the Spirit of God to deal with our brokenness and our sin. Um, there's an illustration that I've used a few times in our community groups. I want to share with you this, this morning of when we come to faith in Jesus, it's, it's kind of like Jesus is buying a house. You're the house. Does anyone watch these fixer-upper on HGTV of the renovating these homes? That's kind of what the Christian life is like. You're the house, and Jesus has bought you, and it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, it's a little bit of a mess. There's so the, the paint's coming off the walls, it needs to be renovated, the carpet needs to be ripped up. And so what happens is, and this is what Jesus does in our own lives, is that he goes into each room, and each room represents a different area in our lives, our relationships, our jobs, our, uh, our marriage, our kids, whatever it might be, our, how we view money, how we view each other, the world, Jesus goes in and what he does is he renovates that room. 
And that's what he does with us. He goes into our hearts and he goes into every area of our lives and he starts to renovate it. And he makes it his own and we begin to surrender. And that's kind of what the process of sanctification is in our lives. It's Jesus coming into every area of our lives and shining the light of Jesus on and exposing the areas that we need to fully surrender to him. And so this morning, when we're going to come to the table, are there any areas of your life that you have still yet to surrender to Jesus that have not been dealt with? The table allows us that moment to remember and then to examine ourselves before Jesus. And then the third thing that communion focuses on is to proclaim. It's to proclaim the gospel. We look in the scriptures in First Chronicles, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds. Day after day in the temple courts, past the house, the disciples never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. Part of following Jesus is proclaiming what he has done. It is sharing your faith with those around you so that people will know. In 1 John 1, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and with our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified. This is talking about Jesus. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship, and have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He calls us to proclaim with our lives, with our lips, what he has done. And when we partake of communion, when we take of the elements, we are proclaiming what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's look at verse 24 in the communion passage. The first thing Paul, quoting Jesus, tell, tells us, this bread helps you anamnesis Jesus to remember Jesus' body given for you, given in your place for, this, for your sake on the cross. And here's the thing. Notice these two little words, for you. The cross was the ultimate act of self-giving love that was done for you. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid his life down for us. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He didn't seek to keep his life. He poured it out. So every time the bread enters your mouth, it's revealing the love of God. He went to the cross as a gift to us, but this also points us toward all the benefits that come through to us through Jesus' death. Isaiah 61.10 says that we have been clothed with the garments of salvation. We've been given the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as we looked in this passage, for you, in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, we see a bunch of you have statements because of Jesus. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. So because of Christ, you have these things. You have been chosen to live a set a part, special life for the purposes of God. You have adoptions as sons. You have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You have the Holy Spirit who is God's seal on your life and guarantees your future redemption in the new heavens and the new earth. Every bite you take of this bread here is proclaiming the gospel not to each other, but is also proclaiming the gospel to you. Every bite is revealing the unsearchable riches that you have in Christ. You see, you didn't know something so small could speak so loudly to you. And we find ourselves saying, and these are the words of the song, 
um, how deep the Father's love for us. Why should I gain from this reward? I cannot give an answer. Because I have received, because of Jesus, more, the unsearchable riches of Christ and of heaven because of him. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. We only take this meal once a month. As we practice in the Alliance, this is an ordinance that we do once a month because sometimes we're afraid that it would get stale. But the early church practiced this meal at least once a week when they would gather together on Sundays because they were afraid that if they didn't partake of this meal, they would get stale. What else are you proclaiming by partaking here this morning? In verse 25, he says, The cup is pointing you toward the blood shed for you. It's telling you that you are part of the new covenant in Jesus. And what exactly is this covenant? Well, a covenant means to come together. In the Bible, a a covenant often was made between two people or nations of unequal strength. Someone who is more powerful and more well-off commits himself to someone who is weaker and needs their help. It's a relational bond. The two parties pledge to be loyal to each other and live for the good of the other. So every time this little cup of grape juice hits your taste buds, it's reminding you that God has committed himself to you to the point of shedding his own blood. He has signed his name on the marriage certificate and signed it in his blood. You know what that means? He's not going to leave us. He's always going to be faithful, and he's always going to love us like we are his only love. And so this morning when we come to this table, we come to a point of remembrance in who Jesus is. Remembering that he has accomplished what we cannot on the cross. It brings us to a point of of kind of putting the things in our life putting things in perspective to the side and saying that Jesus is the center. I live because Christ lives in me. And it causes us to then examine ourselves that if there are things in our life that we have not fully surrendered to him, he gives us the opportunity for the spirit to work within us. And then when we examine ourselves and when we come to fully surrender to him, we can't help but proclaim who Jesus is. We can't help but share what he has done because what he has done is above and beyond anything that we could hope for or imagine. And as we long for him to return again, he gives us this table to bring us back into full view of himself so that when he returns, We will not be caught off guard. We won't panic. It won't, it it will be rejoicing. It will be peace. It will be a completion, a fulfillment of what we have seen here this morning. And so he gives us this simple partaking of a piece of bread and a cup to proclaim who he is and to bring us into full view of what he has done so that when he returns again, we will be ready, we will be his, and we will have full assurance that we belong to him.